Welcome back, y'all, to episode 33 of the Zachary Wingate Podcast, where we go 365 days podcasting every day, seeing where the journey takes us. Today, we have an interesting show for you. Um, did some research on a, something I just learned about last Sunday called the Tyos Caves. And in itself is an amazing story where, provide, where I provide you an overview. So sit back, relax, and listen. If you're working out. Quite the story to unfold. This is about the caves of Taos or Cuevita de los Taos. Now, this story is one that really perplexes me and it could be a two-part series. Um, and just setting the context for when this story was really brought to our attention was last Sunday when my wife family had some friends over and they're having dinner and they started telling us about the um, caves of Taos. Now this story is one that is very complex and there's multiple points in it. You know, it's there's assassinations, astronauts, story of giants, golden tablets filled with Sumerian knowledge. Um, indigenous indigenous control, government control, and potentially a larger plot at hand. Now, these are all multiple layers of the story. So unpacking it is one that requires some time as well as some dedication. So for the last week, I've taken some time to really dive into this story so I can provide it in a way that makes sense. So please sit back, relax, and listen as we go into... The Taos Caves. Okay, so giving the overarching um, view of the Taos Caves. So these caves in itself are a strong part of um, indigenous culture. There's a lot of historical reference made into it. I've been um, doing a deep dive into it. And despite... Um, the stories of the gold tablets and things of that, which we'll get into. Just understanding the importance of the caves is they do have kind of like a religious, spiritual, and historical tie to a culture there close to um, Cuenca. Cuenca is the largest city that is close to the Taos Caves. It's still a few miles away, but it's still within that vicinity. So where does this story really start picking up? Well, it first starts with Father Crispy. Now, Father Crispy was a Catholic priest within Cuenca um, around the turn of the century. And, you know, he was living there and living in Cuenca, interacting and interacting with the indigenous people. And, you know, the indigenous people got really, really comfortable with him because he spent a lot of time there. And what happened with the Padre is they started bringing him these, these ancient kind of these Sumerian-looking tablets and, and 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 I guess you would kind of just call them, you know, these pieces of Sumerian um, tablets <laughs> that looked very very close to what what the Egyptian tablets look like. And there's pictures of it where he has multiple things that they just kept bringing him. Well, at first he really was kind of thrown off guard because he didn't really understand 
why he was getting these tablets. And within Ecuador, you know, some time would pass, but he would, you know, eventually become famous and well-known for these tablets. And he, he gathered a lot. I mean, if you do a rough Google search, you just see tons of tablets and historians there looking at it. And when you compare what they found in these jungles, um, it looks a lot like Egyptian or Sumerian um, artwork, I guess the best way to describe it. So it was really interesting because there wasn't really an understanding of where this artwork came from. And looking at it, I mean, the, the similarities are unreal. And it kind of dates back into an ancient time where people believe that at some point in time, Ecuador, many, many years ago, was, was kind of at um, a very, very um, developed country. And there was a lot of science and technology being used that was really, really surpassed what was even dated at that time. And in the podcast, we'll kind of get a little bit more into that. But just to set the context is is it's kind of unraveling this mystery. Well, what happens is, you know, this is at the turn of the century. And around the 70s is really where the story kind of takes off and kind of starts building more and more momentum. Well, what you have is you also have um, kind of Neil Armstrong coming into the story as well. And I'm kind of jumping into it, just giving you the overview. So what, what had happened is you have a man named, um, Jonas Julio, and he claims that he had been to these caverns. Well, in the process of doing it, he calls upon Eric von Dyken, who is also a very famous, um, explorer. If you've seen ancient aliens, he's on there all the time. In the 70s, they brought him in and saying, hey, you know, we have these caves. And Juan was trying to interact with them and saying, you know, we have these these caves. You know, apparently there's this interesting systems being created. Well, the mystery kind of starts from there. So Eric interacts with the caves, makes a trip to Ecuador and interacts with Juan. Juan claims what he's claiming is he has found these cave systems and within these cave systems, there is a library filled with golden books. Now, within these golden books, there's strange languages, but it's almost like a library and there's different, there's the string languages kind of unlocking information. Well, from there, Eric gets really intrigued and he comes down to the caves. Now, the way the story goes is, you know, they never really found it. And there was kind of some um, misinformation. Enters in Scottish scientist Stan Hall or Stanley Hall. So Stanley Hall was really intrigued with this story. So he started doing some more investigations because he too interacted with the Padre. He's seen the, he actually, you know, there's, there's videos of him holding the Sumerian or Ecuadorian um, um, plates, discs, and and I don't even know what you call it. Like just, I'm just going to call it artwork. So he interacted with the artwork from there. And it really started to pique his interest. So within the 70s, you know, he's doing a lot of research. And then what happens is he actually invites Neil Armstrong to come to Ecuador. Now, 
Neil Armstrong in itself was a really big deal because, you know, it, it was around the 70s and, you know, within the 60s, he walked on the moon. So just set the context, I mean, the only person in the whole world who'd ever stepped on another planet living at this time, and, you know, he was a rock star. Everybody knew who he was. I mean, you had over, you know, half, what, 500 million people watch the moon landing. So that's throughout the whole world. So, well, within this story, you know, Eric had lost some credibility because people were saying that the cave wasn't real. But what really brought the credibility back to these caves was Neil Armstrong. So Neil Armstrong came down in the, in the summer of 1976 to enter the expedition with Stan Hall. Stan Hall had rumored to have the location of where these golden texts were. So you had hundreds of Ecuadorian military with this expedition. You had British scientists. You had, you know, uh, an astronaut who the first person in society, the first person in history who had stepped onto another planet or satellite is what they think they actually categorize the moon as, but another landmass within, within space. So they enter in on this voyage and they, you know, come to find out, you know, these, these cave systems are very vast. They say there's hundreds of miles of cave systems under Ecuador and the Taos, the Taos caves are the interests of it. Well, what they found within the Taos caves is Neil Armstrong actually found a skull that predates 1,500 years before Tutankhamun, who was the Egyptian priest. So that in itself is, is a very interesting find to find a human skeleton like that. Well, there's a lot of rumor to believe why was Neil Armstrong so interested in this story? Well, come to find out, you know, when Neil Armstrong was on the moon, he was having comms back with Houston and NASA. And there's two minutes that are unaccounted for. And this is kind of a conspiracy theory or a theory of what could happen. So there's two minutes that are unaccounted for where he was interacting with the medical staff. And he claims he switched over and he was on the moon and he was looking over a crater and he quote said, they're looking at us and they have vehicles. So it's really ominous, but in some ways he's saying that, you know, the, the way the conspiracy goes is that there was some type of creatures or beings looking at Neil Armstrong and Neil Armstrong kind of came more, um, more obsessed or more kind of captivated by the thought of, you know, extraterrestrial life or other information. So the way the story goes is Neil Armstrong is he, he came back from the moon and he became more of a recluse in his farm in Ohio. And he got to a point where the only thing he did within that time is go down to Ecuador and look at these caves. So that in itself is really a interesting point in the story because you have a scientist, an astronaut, someone who's been to an extraterrestrial world, and he is literally coming down to these caves. Well, as the expedition went with these caves, they didn't find anything. They did about 10 miles within these cave systems. But what was so interesting is how the caves were laid out. If you look at some of the images or you hear kind of what they said about it, the caves have perfect linear lines. 
like someone came in there, chiseled it down, and then put a glaze over it within these cave systems. But within these cave systems, it's not a normal cave you walk into. You have to actually repel into it hundreds and hundreds of feet. Now, that takes place within the 70s. So this is kind of what puts the story on the map for the rest of the world. Where it gets interesting, though, is Stan Hall dedicates his life to understanding these cave systems and, and, and the things that are found within it. Well, originally I was talking about Juan, who said he was the first person to be in the cave. Stanley Hall did a lot of investigations, and he eventually found out that Juan had never been in the caves. And he found a gentleman by the name of Petrino. And Petrino claimed to have been in the caves when he was 17 in the early um, 40s. And the thought is, you know, what is said about it within the local, the indigenous tribes is that Neil Armstrong actually went to the wrong cave. The cave they were going to didn't have the artifacts that were being shared with Father Crispy. Okay. So... The person who claimed to have known where the original caves were, were Petrino, and Petrino told Juan, okay? And Juan was trying to protect him, but he was indicating that he knew where they were, and he didn't. Well, Petrino, when he was 17, said he found, he, he was shown the caves, and he saw the library, and he wanted to take one of the books, but he couldn't lift it because it was too heavy. So he, he scrubbed, scrubbed out his initials within the cave. So from there, what happened is Stanley Hall was very, very persistent throughout his life to kind of determine and get the truth of it. Well, eventually in 1996, kind of jumping years, he would find Petrino and talk to him. And Petrino agreed to show him the cave. So Stan Hall had put all this time and effort. He brought in an astronaut. He'd done all these things to find kind of the mystery of it. And a few weeks before Petrina was going to show him where the caves were, he was assassinated. I mean, what? <laughs> so Stanley Hall never got to see those original caves. So this story is just one of just such a magnitude because... Because the thought is within these caves, what Petrino saw actually was large sarcophaguses made out of crystal with large skeletons. Um, lots of interesting things that could have been extraterrestrial. But it kind of opens up into this theory that there was giants living in that cave. And, and giants were the ones who had sculpted it and created it. Now, what's so crazy about this cave system is the giant story kind of tied into the indigenous people's thoughts that giants used to roam Ecuador. And with how the carvings of these caves look, like a regular person couldn't do it. So that's why they're saying that potentially, you know, what Petrino saw was actually, you know, giants who were buried in these crystallized kind of sarcophaguses and the fact that he was assassinated really adds some interesting aspects to this story because the mystery's still there and now in current day um 
you know, and, and it also ties into a lot of stuff whenever the Spanish were coming and there was lots of gold in Ecuador, they hit it within the cave systems. Well, these cave systems haven't even really been explored. And these cave systems take up a lot of Ecuador. There's a lot of caves under it. So you have all these multiple layers to this story that it just feels like it's just scratched the surface. And within Cuenca, you can go there and kind of go to Father Crispy's museum. But another interesting factor is when he died, all of the artifacts were, were taken. Nobody knows where they are. I mean, there's pictures of them, of the artifacts, him having them. And then when he died, they're gone. So you have these multiple layers to this story that still just feels so un... Like there's no conclusion to it. And I'll leave you with, with the thought that, you know, the indigenous people now... Now you, it's nearly impossible to get permits to go into these caves. A lot of them are still undiscovered and the mysteries are still there. So could there be potentially a golden library? Hard to say, but are there actual artifacts from Sumerian time period that came out of the cave? Yes. So with that being said, you know, there is some validity to the story. So I just wanted to share with you the story of the caves of Taos. Have a good one. I also want to leave you with Neil Armstrong's um, last speech he did at the White House. It's one that is a little bit ominous and interesting. So I'm going to let Neil Armstrong close out the podcast for today. Mr. President, members of Congress, fellow astronauts, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Wilbur Wright once noted that the only bird that could talk was the parrot, and he didn't fly very well. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be brief. <laughs> this. This week, uh, America has been recalling the Apollo program and reliving uh, the memories of those times in which so many of us here, the colleagues here in the first rows, were immersed. Our old astrogeology mentor, Gene Shoemaker, even called in one of his comments to mark the occasion with spectacular Jovian fireworks. And reminding us once again of the power and consequence of celestial extracurricular activities. Many Americans were part of Apollo, about one or two in each thousand citizens all across the country. They were asked by their country to do the impossible, to envisage, to design, and to build a method of breaking the bonds of Earth's gravity, and then sally forth and visit another heavenly body. 
The principal elements, leaving Earth, navigating in space, and descending to a planet unencumbered with runways and traffic controls, would include the major requirements necessary for a spacefaring people. Today, a space shuttle flies overhead with an international crew. A number of countries have international space programs. During the space age, we have increased the knowledge of our universe a thousandfold. Today, we have with us uh, a group of students among America's best. To you, we say, we have only completed a beginning. We leave you much that is undone. There are great ideas undiscovered, breakthroughs available to those who can remove one of truth's protective layers. There are places to go beyond belief. Those challenges are yours. In many fields, not the least of which is space, because there lies human destiny.